Now that sounded in sync on my end. That's so interesting, eh? There must be some sort of delay because for me that was like out of sync. But oh well, whatever. We're never gonna think. fucking find equilibrium yeah. in this world, are we? Yep. Well, maybe Absolutely we will. Not. Maybe we will. Maybe modern guilt is the vehicle through which we find balance. Um, speaking I'd like of which, I think it's a revolutionary tool for our um, classroom-sized oh, audience. Shut the fuck up, cunt! Sorry, man. My fucking. As soon as I fucking hit record, my dog needs to get out. Give me a second. All good, man. <laughs> it's troublesome, eh? Oh. <sighs> okay. He's literally in like the last 24 hours, he has become afraid of the floor again. And it's just this whole fucking issue, man. And I can't even, yeah. I can't even believe that this is the issue in my life that's causing me frustration right now, but it is somehow. So <laughs> there you go. Like answer that. I don't know. So everybody, Do you think... welcome <laughs> to episode 12 of Modern Guilt. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I was going to ask, do you think uh, the outrage you feel fills the outrage vacuum at Bruce not being able to get outside? Or do you think it's it's lesser to other outrage that you felt? Mm, that's a great question. I'm actually reading a transformative book at the moment, which I think might answer this. Uh, the book is called Working With Your Shadow, and it's been recommended to me by a psychologist that I'm seeing, actually. And I can't remember his name. And when I say seeing, I don't mean fucking, I mean... <laughs> in in his uh, in a professional capacity, um, yeah. <clears throat> the book outlines this really interesting idea, which just by mere coincidence I think ties into uh, this conversation we're going to be having about revolutionary theory. Which mm. for the listeners, yes, that's what we're going to be talking about this episode at some point once we get around to it. So, this book, working with your shadow, as much as it's it's a corny title and the sort of terms used to describe the concept i think are a bit corny and cringe to hear yourself say but it's basically <laughs> explores the idea um, that apparently the psychologist carl jung first um sort of pioneered that our psyche is equally constructed of um sort of dark and light or good and bad uh, or conscious and subconscious and that we sort of are constructed of this sort of perfect polarity and that for every uh, subjectively good act we do in the world, we commit a bad one subconsciously or internally. So whenever we carry out one act that produces a positive or light energy, we produce a negative energy inside of us. And eventually your, your shadow needs to be unleashed in one way or another. And it's important that we find a way to somehow let out this dark energy or um, you know release pressure through a valve otherwise this dark energy turns into a fucking monster and that's when people have psychological breakdowns or they commit acts of violence or some horrific yeah. shit <clears throat> yeah, yeah so i think that maybe me yelling at bruce for being scared of the floor is me trying to find some way to just like drip a little bit of negative energy out in the world so that i don't fucking kill somebody instead it's funny you mentioned this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
I did Dry July. Uh, and I announced it publicly on this pod. Um, and Dry July has dripped over to Dry August. And oh, frankly, wow. Well I haven't done. had a drink in ages, basically. Coming up to two months. I'm such a shitty friend because I remember on the pod saying, I'm going to hold you to account about that. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that you don't. And I haven't, I fucking forgot completely. I didn't even yeah. remember until oh, now. Don't, so. don't worry about it. Um, in a way that kind of helped, like it wasn't really a big deal. I wasn't like, oh, I'm definitely not going to drink. I just kind of like stopped and it ceased to be something that I wanted to do. Yeah. But um, I've been finding, man, that I've been like craving vice in different forms. And it's yeah. like what, what I thought would be when I was younger, I remember looking at people that didn't drink. And there are some people that I knew that didn't drink. And for some reason at that time, I was like, why aren't you like a fucking billionaire? You know, you don't drink. <laughs> Like, how could you not drink? Like, I always perceived drinking as this thing that held me back from, like, um, trading witties with uh, noblemen and <laughs> having, like, huge amounts of wealth. And I would, yeah. all of a sudden, I would suddenly transform into this, you know, um, phenomenal uh, being a new state of consciousness, which hasn't happened yet uh, in the last month and a half. No, it doesn't but happen. what has, yeah, what has is I crave other shit, like... Mm-hmm. I went to Lone Star uh, on the weekend. Yeah, right. Um, which I, I don't know if you guys have those in Australia. I don't think we do. Oh, uh, okay. So the, are they it's like basically like cowboy themed pubs or some shit? Yeah, yeah. They're like right. cowboy. Yeah, basically, they're like Texan meals. You get like big fuck off plates of food. Ah, right? oh, okay. I, re- um, I recall this. Sort of like the yeah. Hard Rock Cafe in Australia. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and instead, like of you know maybe normally ordering like a beer or something i had this like massive plate of food and just demolished all of it and i wasn't hungry by the end of it and afterwards man i went to mcdonald's and i bought a (laughs) fucking double quarter pounder fuck yeah and i smashed that yeah disgusting get that shit in your mouth fuck yeah (laughs) fuck yeah and like it just struck me that that was effectively like the food equivalent of binge drinking. Oh, straight up, me man. smashing like thirty beers. Yeah, yeah, like you're just your pleasure centers firing on all cylinders, and you're like feeling all <laughs> sensual with this burger in your hand, and your brain's yeah. loving it. Yeah, but I haven't gotten rid of that like innate need for vice, and I don't. Well, you never I was do. chatting to a friend. I don't. Yeah. Well, I I was thinking like maybe you don't. Maybe this is just it from now yeah. on. Like, and I'm gonna need. And I've been finding like I'm starting instead of like craving you know, the release valve on the weekend of a few beers or something. I've been, I've been craving other shit like food or like, um, you know, <laughs> drugs or fucking yeah. you know, other shit. And it, it's kind of pissing me off to be honest. Cause, uh, I guess you can never get rid of that. And it's, well, you know, there's no freedom from it. Yeah, you're right. So I've got sort of like, I guess two points in response to that, that I think are interesting. The first one is that humans have, been experiencing and understanding this sort of polarity or maybe paradox forever. And it's reflected in like ancient religions and mythology. Again, like the idea of devils of the devil. Um, So like when you look at like pagan religions, like the Greek gods, for example, they pay just as much homage to the god of war and the god of uh, the underground, sorry, the underworld rather, um, because they understood that you need to acknowledge and pay tribute to your dark cravings and like the sort of more sinful aspects of human nature. So they did that through ritual and ceremony. And in like Hinduism, for example, you have, I'm gonna fuck this up because I'm not familiar with Hinduism, but I think 
it's Vishnu, which is the god of creation, um, and then Shiva, the god of destruction, and you, you know, you worship them both because you understand that both of those need to have like an important part in human life. And mm. there's no, it's really important that you acknowledge them both because there's no point trying to block one out. And as soon as you ignore this shadow or your the destructive part of your psyche, that's when it does the most harm to you, you know? So it's so true. The yeah. way that you, I can't remember the phrase that you used exactly now, but I think you said maybe you can never escape it or you can never get rid of it. And mm. I mean, you're right, you never can. And it's important that you don't try to because that's when it fucks you up, man. Like, yeah. So that's you need to figure out a way to balance the two. And that's the role that religion has often played. Yeah. And in this book, it's really interesting. They explain that um, the Latin root word for religion means to uh, rebind or bridge. And it refers to the need to bring back together these polarities in our psyche and mm. allow them both to cohabitate and to figure out a way to sort of like live your life, paying homage to them both and balancing them out. So yeah. the way that, I mean, according to this idea that you can find some sort of peace or oneness is to find yourself faced with two choices that might be good as is usually understood by sort of like Western social norms and bad, which is not, maybe not bad, but it's sort of your more like your sort of like primal urges your vice and your desire and all that kind of shit so it might be like i want to sit home and fucking masturbate all day or i want to go to work because <laughs> that's what people say i should do one's the bad thing and one is the good thing yeah. um and the way to be at peace is to like not make a decision and when, when yeah. you don't make a decision and you can be comfortable without making a decision then that's when you figure out what you want or what you should do and that is an act of god you know what's surprising to me um that's a fucking really good point but there's no good literature on finding your vice. You know, there's all sorts of good literature on improving your habits and becoming a better person and mm. eliminating vice. But one thing that I'm struggling with right now is finding an appropriate vice, you know, like to engage in mm -hmm. that is my outlet for self-destruction. Like now that I've given up, well, I haven't like formally given up booze. I just don't really want it. Um, but I feel like there's definitely like a little bit of an existential hole in the fact that there's nothing there for me to like unleash on yeah you know, and, fully. and, and uh, release my primal rage at being alive yeah um so i guess part of it is like where do you, and, I, and you know it's funny it's like you mentioning all this is i've actually been running through different options for me to like um like to engage in new things i was thinking like oh i guess i could get into like gaming but you know i already sit at my fucking laptop so much i don't really want to do that um and then i was thinking maybe i should get a gun and i can like shoot bottles or something well but, uh... <laughs> i think like shooting is really close to what i would probably consider like an appropriate way to do that like it's sort of a a weird one that I think most people probably wouldn't label under this category, but I think like any sort of sport or physical activity, particularly when it's competitive, is a good example of it because it's shamelessly masculine in the traditional sense. Um, and you can hurt yourself and others sometimes in an acceptable way. Um, <laughs> I have the need for domination. Yeah, yeah, it's I true. You know, it. Because yeah, 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 and everybody does in a way, um, whether it's dominating yourself or somebody else. Um, yeah. It's like it's really important that you can inflict pain and receive it in some place in your life. And like, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. am like, I run a lot, which is obviously like not a competitive sport, but I fucking yeah. push myself every time, man. Like I'm trying to 
work up to like running a marathon, you know? Do you, do you get angry when you work out? Cause when I go to the gym, I generally put on like the angriest shit I can. And yeah. I think about shit that makes me angry. And I try and get in the headspace of like, like this is pretty fucked up. But like, I, I imagine myself like beating motherfuckers when I'm like running at the gym and like working out mm. and stuff. When I'm, when yeah. I'm running, I normally don't have that sort of mindset, but when I'm working out, I do definitely. Uh, like sometimes Francisca and I do some like boxing exercises at home and I just like envision pummeling someone's face in. <laughs> and like that's obviously much better than doing it in really yeah um so this is interesting because like <laughs> it kind of leads on to the, the some notes that i'd actually written down um uh, which yeah. kind of tie this i guess idea or set of ideas to the topic of revolution so i'll try and maybe use this as a bit of a segue so mm. there's a quote from this book that says there are three occasions for true happiness in human beings the first is a surplus of energy. The second is the cessation of pain. The third is the absolute certainty that one is doing the will of God. And it continues to say, the first is the province of youth. The second lasts only for a brief moment. The third is to be won by virtue of much work, inner work. So it's saying that basically once you've reached maturity and adulthood, the only way to regularly encounter happiness is to basically work on yourself to find some sort of peace and that peace is a metaphor for god and i think that this sheds a lot of light on extremism and partisanship right because our society and particularly in the united states has arrived at a position where everyone is so firmly entrenched and there are economic interests at play um, which incentivize the strengthening of these positions that indoctrinate people into thinking that they are doing the will of God, right? So these people realize that they can't find happiness in any other way and they don't know that they need to do it through inner work. So they latch on to this sort of externalized will of God with air quotes. I'm doing the air quotes right now um so yeah you have yeah, these yeah. like extreme conservatives or extreme liberals out on the streets fucking killing people because like there's that desperate for happiness and purpose and they don't know how else to to let out their shadow because we live in a fucking society that like binds us so completely and wholly that doesn't offer us escape yeah and that, I think, is a part of the reason why we have so much revolution fermenting across the world right now. So that, oh man, that's pretty much exactly what I was planning on uh, chatting about with the suicide of the West. Um, I was just researching up for this um, and reading about how, you know, there's a uh, book called The Suicide of the West that was written um, that basically hypothesizes largely the same thing that capitalism has been very good at satiating wants but it doesn't provide for inner meaning uh and politics is effectively starting to sell meaning and sell the feeling of needed of being needed to people and that's you know ultimately creating two divisions that are warring against each other and just over the weekend i saw uh, there's a brawl between Antifa and mega people and there's a couple mega rallies, whatever, that erupted into like crazy fights. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people full on beating each other down. And one of the things that like struck me weird about it is there was this weird sense of like relief in, in the general um, talking 
of you know the, the way that people were discussing like what was happening yeah and i'm right. wondering like and maybe everyone's so pent up they just need to beat the shit out of each other and even people even the ones who aren't quite at the point where they're on the street in a gas mask beating people with fucking baseball bats yep. like they love it online man you know like they do they get off in a different way they're like commenting on these videos like yeah fucking kill him man oh my god fuck this cunt like blah 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 Um, or like the even like more watered down bitchier version is to just like make some juicy meme and drop it on a subreddit and be like yeah bitch like and they're just fucking (laughs) fucking totally trolling these guys right now (laughs) yeah totally like feeling some sort of like you know like sexual dark relief from it or some shit but they don't even fucking know it you know dude Um, it's it's fucking so real out there on that (laughs) yeah Yeah. um i'm just gonna pause us for one second and i'm gonna quickly read over skim this paragraph that i had like written a note for to see if it like slots in here well because this is i remember reading it yesterday and i was like fuck like i think i want to read this all right so yes it maybe is. it'll work maybe it won't um oh well i'll just fucking read it out anyway right and i can always just edit it out because yeah. you'll be interested in it regardless yeah um we have so the power like of editing. anyway carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've got the power of editing uh and that's how people will be led to believe that i love my dog <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so yeah this paragraph i think really like summarizes perfectly this sort of um inner existential dread that we're all facing and how it ties into partisanship and that kind of hunger for revolution and like violence um so it says jung has said that to be in a situation where there is no way out or to be in conflict where there is no solution, is the classical beginning of the process of individuation. It is meant to be a situation without solution. The unconscious wants the hopeless conflict in order to put ego consciousness up against the wall, so that the man has to realize that whatever he does is wrong, whichever way he decides will be wrong. This is meant to knock out the superiority of the ego, which always acts from the illusion that it has the responsibility of decision. Naturally, if a man says, oh well, then I shall just let everything go and make no decision, but just protract and wriggle out of it, the whole thing is equally wrong, for then naturally nothing happens. But if he is ethical enough to suffer the core of his personality, then generally the self manifests. In religious language, you could say that the situation without issue is meant to force the man to rely on an act of God. In psychological language, the situation without issue which the anima arranges with great skill in a man's life is meant to drive him into a condition in which he is capable of experiencing the self. When thinking of the anima as the sole guide, we are apt to think of Beatrice leading Dante up to paradise, but we should not forget that the experience that he experienced that only after he had gone through hell. Normally the anima does not take a man by the hand and lead him right up to paradise. She puts him first into a hot cauldron where he is nicely roasted for a while, which like, I think is pretty fucking poignant. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a lot to take on board. I'm just trying to yeah, distill that in my own mind. So it's effectively saying that we have to suffer through hell to benefit. Exactly. Um, in heaven. Or, yeah. And yeah. like the hell that we have to suffer through is normally our own. I mean, it's the, the hell of trying to find purpose or trying to figure out what the right decision is for you. Oh, but that's people, so good. But people yeah. are trying to fucking short, uh, trying to take a shortcut, you know, yeah. and they're, they're trying to find a way around these 
three limited ways of finding true happiness, which was the surplus of energy, the cessation of pain, and the absolute certainty that one is doing the will of God. So like they're trying to <laughs> convince themselves that they're doing the will of God fighting by fucking fighting these so, fucking protracted battles that don't make any sense. So good. So fucking good. That's true. Man. Yeah. That's, that's entirely true. And it's like, I guess that's why you have people leaping so hard on different fights. So there's a news article that came out, um, that the Australian had published a mm -hmm. racist and offensive article, which I think you might've been aware of. The Australian faces criticism over the Kamala Harris cartoon. Um, this generated huge outrage among people with nothing better to do, which is unfortunately seems to be like <laughs> the bulk of the population. Yeah. Um, so for everyone listening, it's effectively, I'll just fire it over to Hayden. Um, it's effectively like, Biden standing at a podium saying it's time to heal a nation divided by racism. Then the next panel, God, I'm such a loser saying that the next panel, um, <laughs> in this panel, uh, Joe Biden says, so I'll hand you over to this little Brown girl while I go for a lie down pointing at like Kamala Harris. Right now. That's kind of like a stupid fucking cartoon. Uh, and, what the, the guy writing it was trying to do, like that was something that Joe Biden had said about Kamala Harris or said about someone or something. So he was like, oh, I'll just take that. And it's like a poorly adopted, um, you know, takeout of something that Biden had said. Like, I don't even think it references Kamala Harris. Yeah, but there was yeah. this fucking huge outrage. Like, and people saying like the, the thing needs to be canceled and um, everyone was jumping on it, trying to fucking... Uh, cancel and saying you know it's effectively one of the most like shameful things that's happened um and it just struck me like there's a lot going on right now and this is one of the weirdest things that you could jump on is an example of like um you know an injustice and it's like anything to fucking feel the need and feel the outrage it's like people are getting so outraged that like the moment someone is spouting off that something's racist or sexist without even like considering the actual content itself uh it's just devolving into this like absolute um uh, uh chaotic what is it like a, the like the don quixote style running after the fucking windmills and everything yeah yeah absolutely you know what I mean? yeah. um i and like, I'm completely opening myself up here to the possibility that I'm fucking stupid and I'm overlooking why this is offensive. But to me, it doesn't seem racist. It's not racist, dude. It's, it's also not clever. <laughs> it's, like, it's the not, joke isn't good. Stupid, yeah. It's a fucking stupid joke. And it also, it's not, I don't think this is saying anything offensive. No, not at all. And it was like... So I saw this because I was researching something. I can't remember what it was for the pod. And then I saw everyone was like, outrage of the Australian. I was like, okay, what's Murdoch Media pumping now? Um, and I saw that and I was thinking, what? Come on, man. There is so many fucking examples that you could choose. And this is the one that you're latching onto. And it's like, part of it, man, I just think so many people are fucking like desperate and lost and need meaning in their life. Um that That's it. anything that comes along is a chance to feel needed. Um, and so in Suicide um, of the West, that's one of the, the central points that the author is making, um, that people don't have that need anymore. There's been a destruction of uh, local communities. Um, there's mm -hmm. been a destruction of like <clears throat> faith and, you know, sort of like uh, microcosms, he calls them, which are, basically like you know the people around you your community your um 
your sense of belonging to like a larger group. Mm-hmm. And they're so they're jumping on anything that sort of like allows them to feel like they belong at all. And that's the only thing that I can understand and, and to like make sense of these like crazy, uh, you know, outreaches. These events. So, yeah, these, yeah, these weird little events that keep propping up all over the show. It's, it's quite f- interesting as well that, um, that idea of people wanting to uh, feel needed um, and therefore drifting towards uh, one side or the, uh, the other on these issues because that um, connects with an idea laid out in this paper, the ther- a theory of revolution that mm. uh, we shared. So I might dive into some analysis on that because I have some notes on that if that uh, is cool with you. It's very cool with me. I, I can encourage it even. Well, yeah, we're very cool guys. So that's <laughs> what we do. Yeah. Please enlighten me. Um, so this is a 1967 paper written by um, political scientists Raymond Tanter and Manus Midlaski, uh, both of whom are American. And obviously, since it was published in 67, this is a really old paper, but I think it contains a lot of really interesting insight that can be applied to issues that are happening right now, like as we speak. So basically what these guys tried to do in this paper, once again, it's titled A Theory of Revolution, is formulate a sort of, I wouldn't say universal, but a robust theory that you can use to understand the origins and sort of characteristics of different political revolutions um, across the world. And they categorize revolutions into uh, mass revolution, which has the characteristic of long duration, high mass participation, high violence, um, and aims to make fundamental changes in the structure of political authority and the social system. Uh, revolutionary coups, which come with less participation, less duration, less violence, and aim to, to uh, effect fundamental change in the structure of political authority and possibly some change in the social system. And then the sort of forms of revolution are watered down to a reform coup, which aims to enact moderate changes in the structure of political authority and the palace revolution, which only replaces one group of elites with another um, and, and affects virtually no change. So Is that like a political movement that's like basically... Like a bunch of politicians kicking out the leader and then instating yeah, within their own a, body? It, it, or not so much. I would say it's um, more like what has happened in sort of Fiji or Thailand, um, yeah. where sort of like the military has kicked out um, a president or prime minister um, and taken power for themselves, but they actually don't change the way the country is really run, if that makes yeah. sense. It's one inadic- inadequate leadership exchange for another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, there's no real impact and generally it's pretty bloodless and it takes place over the course of 24 hours. So this article, in my opinion, sort of hints at the fact that at the moment the United States is undergoing a structural revolution or a structural war, um, which is categorized by high mass participation, a long duration, high domestic violence and aims to enact fundamental changes in the structure of political authority and the social system. Mm. Um, so whether or not this winds up being successful or not is yet to be determined. But um, some more sort of evidence behind this claim that I'm making um, is outlined in this article. So 
they go on to explain that the duration and the number of deaths per million people in the population can be used as a measure of the intensity of a revolution. But the beginning and end point of revolutions are really hard to quantify. So their revolutions are sort of constructed more of a series, more out of a series of interrelated events as opposed to having one start date and an end date. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, you have to also think about the deaths caused through social strife before and after the sort of main revolutionary events or acts um, when you take into account deaths per million, um, etc. So in the United States, as we're well aware, like you have this social sort of like turmoil, which is uh, boiling over into mass shootings, police executions, fucking violence on the street, um, and like partisan rioting and shit like this. And there's a quote out of here that says, the longer the revolution persists, the greater the polarization of the society around the warring factions. Traditional associations are broken. Factions which at the start of the conflict might have been able to settle their differences by negotiation now find that with the passage of time, enmities have increased to the extent that only unconditional surrender by one of the factions can terminate the revolution. <laughs> which, oh, <dude. laughs> to me... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm glad that you reacted that way because that was what I thought when I read it. I, th that it's, fucking hit home for me. It is. It's um, red state versus blue state. It's left versus exactly. white, Democrat yeah. versus Republican, social justice warrior versus fucking alt-right, you know. Um, um, Gun-toting, militia, fucking dickhead. Only fans um, versus incels. Like, just like fucking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. And they also sort of identify... A bunch of conditions which are normally present uh, in the lead up to these um, protracted or structural revolutions. So they look at the American Revolution, which gained independence from the British Empire, the uh, Russian Revolution, which withdrew Russia from World War One in 1917 and enacted communist government, mm. the French Revolution of the 18th century and the English Revolution of the 18th century. And they find that all of these revolutions were all preceded by a long upward trend in economic growth, followed by a sharp reversal right before revolution sets in, which has happened in the United States over the last sort of 20 to 25, 30 years. And this quick reversal in economic outcomes, they refer to as the revolutionary gap. So the upward trend of economic outcomes creates heightened aspirations and therefore expectations. But as soon as the economy dips, um, the line between expectations and aspirations increases and they call this the revolutionary gap. It's the space where frustration occurs and where the things that you've been told or convinced that you should expect because of the past are just not realistic anymore. Oh, dude, Ray Dalio um, is on the phone, eh? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, dude. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And as you pointed out earlier, oh, I'm going to completely blank on the term for this now, but I will. So um, the, the Gini Index or the Gini Index, I'm not sure how that's actually supposed to be pronounced, but that's yeah. the measure of inequality in a state. That exacerbates the circumstances which produce a revolutionary gap because obviously if you can imagine the expectations of the entire population plummet relative to continual high aspirations which reflect the achievements of the past. 
Mm. So if you're, the expectations of the entire population plummets, you need to bear in mind that some, the most well-off of that population's expectations for their future will still be considerably higher than those of the lowest class in that population, meaning the revolutionary gap sort of um, has, comes in two sizes, I suppose you could say, or, yeah. or a variety of sizes. So for those who experience greater equality, or so, sorry, greater inequality, the revolutionary gap is larger. And yeah, so I'm gonna also link on the website when we release this, some graphics which explain or uh, illustrate some of these more sort of like complicated points a bit better because there are really useful tables and stuff in this paper. Um, um, and obviously we'll link the paper as well. We but need yeah. to collab on that article because a lot of this is crossing over with the whole top 40%, bottom 60% Ray Dalio piece. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, where he's talking about, you know, a increase in wealth to asset holders and people with sort of that like uh, existing education and asset base. And yep. a decreasing, you know, um, wealth, earning power opportunities to the bottom 60%, which is just exacerbating this entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the show notes open right now? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you able to scroll down and see that image that I inserted of um, that shows the revolutionary gap and how it forms? Oh, yeah. The, oh, okay. Yeah. Achievement, aspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, there's, yeah, when you... When we were talking about this pre-show, um, mm -hmm. just jumping back to our like chat, uh, yeah. one, of, one of the things that interested me, and I don't know if I actually ended up saying it to you. No, it doesn't look like I did. Was it said the lowering, so successful revolutions have a lower expectation after it. And it's almost like a collective, what struck me as interesting was that it was like a collective um, uh, devaluing of what they might achieve. So it's almost like there's this like mm. entitlement that builds up as you start to see people, you know, get really rich. Like mm -hmm. um, when we were growing up, you know, Zuckerberg obviously rose to being one of the richest people in the world. And like even back in the 2000s, it felt like anybody can get rich, just make an app. Um, and I guess in the early 2000s, it was make a website. And then before that, there's a long legacy of people making different products and then suddenly exploding into, um, you know, huge amounts of wealth. You could become an actor, you could become an entertainer, you could become a musician. Um, it was all accessible. Yeah. And now it feels very gated. And it's like, maybe if we, you know, obviously if we remove the expectation and expected poverty, um, then people probably wouldn't be that pissed. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's, it's interesting because um, they also point out that, and I'm assuming there are multiple measurements for levels of education, and I, I didn't actually write down what measurement they use for this article, but they note that um, the higher that educational attainment becomes, um, the more that it positively correlates to the intensity of revolution. So if you like refer back to the table where it shows the categories of revolution as per this article. Yeah. The more educated your population is, the more likely they are to support a mass revolution or revolutionary coup, as opposed to something smaller like a palace revolution. So if you have, for lack of a better term, a dumber population, mm. um, palace coups, which is just um, a sort of displacement of one elite group for another, happen more frequently and far more easily. 
and that's I think because the population can easily be duped and it's easier to buy um, sort of like electoral what's the word electoral consensus or support whereas the mass revolution when you have overeducated yeah. but under stimulated populations which is basically what you have in the United States here because as you and I have also talked about the university racket is running at an all-time high um, you have a lot of woke motherfuckers who know a lot about the world but have nothing to do yeah um, take part in they become idle um, you know the devil makes uh, <laughs> what's that fucking um the devil makes work for idle hands and ignorance is bliss so, there you go yeah that you yeah couldn't have said Cliches it better. for a reason <laughs> so yeah like because um those highly educated people can no longer be upwardly mobile uh the more that inequality and education simultaneously increase the more likely you are to um have a structural revolution and i think Going back to what you said, that is why expectations decrease on net uh, post-revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a resetting of what's actually feasible and then the sort of hopefully collective effort to um, rebuild sort of some sort of social cohesion to pull the expectations back up. Yeah, um, riffing on that for a little bit and, and I'm just playing with this idea in my mind. One thing yeah, that I'd sure. be really interested in as well uh, to see if there's any truth in is if you if you have a structural revolution where you're tearing down institutions, mm -hmm. um, you're also kind of letting, uh, you know, th there's a suddenly like a vacuum where opportunities can arise again. You know, like at the moment, if I wanted to make a search engine, mm -hmm. um, I can't. Like it, you just fucking, yeah, I yeah. can't compete with Why Google. bother? Yeah, yeah, why bother? Like you know, Instagram copies every single feature of every competitor. Uh, you know, they've like basically copied Snapchat entirely, mm -hmm. um, which is still existing. But as far as I'm aware, it's largely like dying. And then good luck trying to start anything now. And I wonder if you, if, if there's a structural revolution to rip those down, all of a sudden you have those opportunities again available to people. You know, like the old institutions are dead. New ones can finally arise, get around like these existing monopolies mm -hmm. that exist. Yeah, I suppose, again, like that would have to coincide with a um, relatively consistent or still increasing level of economic outcomes, though, right? Because if you sort of look at this table or sorry, graph rather, it seems as though expectations can't arise without economic performance. Mm. Um, so even though there is that vacuum, I think you would still maybe need some level of infrastructure for overall expectation to increase rather than decrease. True. Am I right in that? Or am I thinking, overthinking this? <laughs> <laughs> well, just playing with it as a thought experiment. If you tear yeah. down, you know, um, Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden there's like a, like we're technically worse off, you know? Um, yeah if you're looking at like raw economic figures, like the number of jobs is suddenly decreased and the number of um, uh, services and buying yeah. and selling, et cetera. Whatever, it's all gone, yeah. Um, but a lot of people would probably see that as a sudden opportunity to mm. create and to make things and to be liberated from like these opposing monopolies that stifle innovation or anything. You're, it's better to yeah, start with right. a blank canvas rather than to like add to some existing masterpieces. I guess kind of where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. That, that makes line sense. Of thinking. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just pure, you know, just speculation. Speculation. Or, yeah. I have no idea. But whether yeah, that's true or not. I think um, to an extent you're right. 
I mean, um, I know, and this is to use a pretty um, like sadistic example, but uh, following the Russian Revolution, you know, like um, Russian industry and manufacturing exploded, um, and obviously that was largely thanks to the um, coercion of the entire population and um, yeah. indentured labor and uh, gulags and all that kind of shit. But I mean, it does show that once you say out with the old, there is space to go in with the new. Um, yeah. And I suppose when your revolution is not a uh, violent communist revolution, then you probably <laughs> leave a lot more space for um, like yeah, innovative or productive yeah. institutions to, to rise up. But there's like a lot of legitimate concern within that, though. Like, I feel like a lot of people feel like there is no point in innovating and in like running against these like large, um, large monopolies and everything. Because they're so powerful, man. Like, there's just nothing you can even do. Uh, like, you know, there's just, they they completely shut down any possibility. And that's one of the things that was touched on in that feel when no girlfriend. Um, yeah. Was a lot of the guys, well, all the guys in that were talking about, like, why even bother? You can't compete. You can't compete with, like, the 1% of college graduates that are going on and taking all of the available jobs. Yeah. Um, you can't compete with the fact that now everybody has a degree, and so getting a job is extremely difficult. You can't start your own business against monopolies that you know do everything that you want better than you possibly ever could with a team of you yourself your buddies and your initial startup capital it's just like why would you even bother yeah you know? and i mean for for most people they can't even even compete with the five percent of dudes on tinder having 95 percent of the sex right oh that's such a fucking good one eh? like the economist <laughs> ran this article that uh polygamy in the middle east has been a contributing factor to revolutions because you start to get um oh that's so interesting a lot of fucked nuts. off dudes yeah yeah you get a lot of yeah, fucked off dudes and wow. like it's it's a real thing that nobody really wants to talk about um that you know, Tinder has kind of swayed the entire dating market and one side has definitely got better bargaining than the other side um, in the short term, mm. not the long term, which is a really interesting other idea is that you have two dissatisfied partners. Like one, guys are finding it harder to meet girls because girls don't have to meet guys if they have shitty photos and whatever, you know, and it's much easier to, you, you have a better selection first as a uh, woman over men, right? when you're like swiping mm -hmm. through and whatever. Um, but then on the other side, like that doesn't really mean a lot because if you're ultimately trying to optimize for like a long-term partner, uh, then you suddenly have less selection because it's like a, you know, you're choosing to stay with, stay with a man or, you know, you're looking for someone for like a long-term relationship, which is actually ends up being really, really difficult because men can- Because, of course. Just jump back on and mm. fuck around. So, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. That's super interesting, man. I wonder like how popular these dating apps are in like the Middle East and stuff. Because like obviously they have like, you know, really sort of what we would consider conservative traditions about arranged marriages and yeah. sort of, you know, the preservation of your virginity and all that kind of shit. Um, so I had Tinder passport that I like before obviously I was in a relationship. Um, yeah, right. Is I, that like international Tinder? Yeah, you could just like cruise around oh, in right. cities. Um, so oh, I, I, didn't know that. I cool. accidentally bought it. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Fucking hand slipped and typed <laughs> card details in. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to like cruise around the world um, from the comfort of New Zealand and see what the dating world's like. And I was like, yeah, right. 
you know, checking out New York and LA and stuff. And I was like, I wonder what it's like in like Iran. And you know, it exists over there. It's just mm. as like debaucherous from my like little anecdotal experience. Mm. It's just as cheap and nasty. You know, oh, the yeah, only right. thing is like, you can't have the same profiles, um, but they do other shit, man. They'll take a picture of like their ass or whatever. And it's like just covered huh. in garment, you know? So right. you, know, you can't <laughs> see their face, but you can see the butt. And it's just like, That's it's so just like at the end of the day, it just reaffirms to me that, oh yeah, we are all human and we are all horny and debauched um, mm. no matter what the uh, societal rule is. So. Um, <laughs> this is like going off on a little bit of a tailspin, but <laughs> I have noticed over the past maybe couple of months, like, you know, when you're browsing Reddit yeah. and like every now and then there will just be like porn screenshots on or whatever, like, I can't even fucking remember why, but it's like people will just post porn screenshots because it's like a funny joke or whatever. Like um, like of the comment section or like actual porn? Oh, like in the post, you know what I mean? It'll be like fucking say you're on the, let's say like conservative subreddit and someone would have screenshotted some porn and turned it into a meme or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like... I've noticed there like people posting a lot of screenshots of pornos with like women in hijabs. Oh, yeah, dude. Which is like really interesting to me. Is that like a new fucking vibe that people are on? Maybe. I think it was bigger. You know, it was fucked up. I think it was actually bigger back around 2001. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. Talking uh, about exercising your shadow. Dude, I know, right? And so... Actually, uh, I'm really happy that we came to this because I wanted to talk about this and, and for preparation for this. Okay, so over the weekend, I was seeing all these fights, right? Like between Mega and Antifa. Physical and fights? I was like, oh, sorry. I, no, like legit, I thought just, you meant you're just like cruising around seeing people scrapping. <laughs> no, it's just cunts beating each other up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Each other up. Um, e- each other up. Each other up. God damn. <laughs> we got the God, brain damage here. <laughs> um, so I was like seeing that shit on Twitter and I was like, wow, this is fucking pretty fucked up. Uh, there's a lot of rage right now. Um, and then I was like, hmm, I wonder if it's being fetishized. So I went onto Pornhub and I typed in like, uh, like mega fucks Antifa or whatever. Oh, dope. Um, or, you know, like Antifa blah 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 and dude mm. there's a whole fucking genre of this shit people are capitalizing on it so the red scare girls were correct yeah they fucking are well violence and sex are like an unleashing of that demon of that fucking outrage and that hate and anger and like you know all the vice that you have built up inside of you that you're talking about at the start of the episode yeah right i feel like people want to fuck it out or fight it out or fucking drink it out or whatever and they're pouring it out and so there's this whole genre that's emerging now of like um you know, like, uh, Black Lives Matter, Ben Zerber from MAGA. Or, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, um, right. Beta Mega Cuck gets blacked. Or <laughs> just shit like that. Fuck, man. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm on a Pornhub right now. This is crazy, man. Yeah, man. Um, it's fucking real. So, like, um, fight the new drug, punk Arab feminist from Antifa slows down time with her mouth slow-mo. <sighs> Yeah, Can you imagine, right. like, people, like, sitting there with their favorite fucking political pundits, like, in one tab, and then they're, like, Pornhub agreeing with their views, and their dick in their hand, they're, like, a fucking dildo just... Yeah, right, they're, like... Rotting their brain. Reading, like, updates from, like, BLM rallies on Twitter while they're just watching <laughs> some, like, fake Antifa chick get fucked, like... Yeah, yeah. Now, what I want to know is, like, is that outrage porn? 
is that for the side you're agreeing with or the side you aren't agreeing with? Like if I'm a mega dude, am I getting off to like getting cucked by um, some fucking BLM member? Or am I getting off to like somewhat like an Antifa member being like subservient to me? I think that it's both. <laughs> I think it's both. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. But I, I yeah. can imagine um, a lot of shit like, say, if you were like some Antifa man or woman, that like you would have this dark, unexplicable desire, sorry, inexplicable desire to be fucking railed by someone from the opposing side. Oh, yeah. Because you like want that violence and that conflict. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. think. Um, yeah, but I mean, it probably fucking dude, works both ways. Dude. I, just, I don't know. Everyone's fucked up, right? They are, man. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that would be like a um, like if the new revolution, uh, the new sexual revolution, is just going to be like megatards and antifatards just fucking getting in a ring and beating and fucking it out, you know? And the rest of us can <sighs> just watch it on live stream. Well, Trump would be there for it. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, hundred percent. Speaking of which, should we? Talk about uh, what's happening in the lead up to the election at the moment. So, like, sure, we have Trump publicly admitting to defunding the U.S. Postal Service to undermine postal ballots. Obviously, we're like a week late on this because of just we always record the podcast on a Monday and release it on a Tuesday. But Kamala Harris has been announced as Joe Biden's running mate, um, <laughs> and there is just increased chaos still like the fucking yeah. riots in portland and seattle are still um in full strength while um, we're doing recap herman cain died rest in peace i really like true herman cain. right oh um he died of and trump's younger brother and trump's younger brother uh also rest in peace um <laughs> like was it was that herman cain <laughs> <laughs> i liked herman cain was a good republican party member he was like pretty hardcore i think in some things but yeah, he was right. also i'm surprised that he wasn't pushed forward more or celebrated more by democrats as like you know um a black a potential black president coming forward but anyway yeah okay uh he's been tweeting beyond the grave obviously someone's running his twitter account but he was fucking dabbing on uh joe biden and Kamala Harris. I like to think, think that Herman Cain's out there in the fucking ether. <laughs> is it possible that he like predicted what would happen and scheduled all these posts? Oh, that would be dude. dope. That would be gangster. That would be so fucking gangster. All right, that and, is totally what I'm going to do before I die. Yeah. yeah, right. And even if it goes <laughs> wrong, it's still funny because like it's just, it's just like incoherent bullshit and people are like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> Yeah, the QAnons are just going to be fucking, like, diving on it. Eh? Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Kamala Harris, VP pick. Uh, good pick for winning. I don't even want to fucking weigh in on where I stand because I think it's all rubbish. But, like, mm. um, in terms of, like, a strategy that's, you know, a black cop. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Let's please um, everyone. <laughs> it is. It is a pretty sound move i think um yeah. i have really been enjoying the memes that um it's like shows you know the picture of aoc and bernie sanders and it's like what i ordered and then the photo of biden and kamala harris it's <laughs> <laughs> like one star <laughs> yeah yeah um which is yeah pretty great oh um, man that is gold um but this whole thing with like the the postal ballots and 
the fucking US Post. Like, when has the entire world given so much of a fuck about the US Postal Service, right? Oh, it's fuck. pretty crazy. I'm so happy you're weighing in on the same thing. Because I saw, like, Taylor Swift. I open Reuters every day. Um, yeah, right. To make sure that my stocks aren't going to fall through the floor. Um, and nothing stupid has happened. And so, you know, that's, like, my general source of news in the world is whatever Reuters is putting on their front page, which is generally pretty neutral, I think. They're, they seem to be one of, like, the last neutral papers or publications out there yeah okay and so i saw taylor swift getting all shitty about the post office and trump and i thought god that's how you know this is just after i'd seen the australian cartoon that seemed to have nothing other than being kind of stupid uh yeah yeah and i was like oh people are really giving a shit about the post office now so yeah i guess they are (laughs) and i mean like thank god taylor swift is here to have an opinion um, yeah right because yeah really contributing to the dialogue there that's how like, you know that someone's fading into irrelevance you know oh uh, yeah well the weird thing is dude i think like she's still fairly like popular she put out that new album and it sucks i actually listened to it <laughs> or like a few tracks from it um but obviously like it's terrible um yeah. but like she thinks she has to do this kind of shit like it's fucking weird how much how basic she is man like yeah. I'm trying to think of someone that you and I know who we could like compare her to so I could fully articulate like the sort of personality I imagine her having. Who's the guy but... that does the Stoner movies? Hmm? He does like those movies like Pineapple Express and shit. <laughs> right. Who's At that least guy? he's funny though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift is just some I don't know, like try hard chick trying to talk about politics at a party and it's just like, come on, bitch. No one wants to fucking hear this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think Trump sucks. Yeah. Oh, please so like, tell me more about your uh, perspective. Yeah, oh my god, he's silence. such a fucking cunt. Hey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. yeah. Quickly posts a like, I stand with Beirut fucking status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's pretty um, obnoxious. I think celebrities are pretty fucking stupid and they used to be cornered and like put away and, and like... um uh glass boxes that we could observe and yeah uh, they'd have really good publicists that would inform them not to make statements about anything other than like you know sort of fed lines but now i don't think your publicist can be there for you like 24 7 well Um, yeah they can't like smack your hand every time you go to tweet something right yeah and and to be a celebrity you have to be like uh you've made the faustian bargain and you're like inherently bankrupt and there's a void in you and you need attention all the time so i think they like now that no one seems to give a fuck about anything other than politics, um, you know, and that's like the only thing in the world that seems to dominate. Yeah. Like, Thank God for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> God damn. Oh, it's so horrible. Like now everyone's weighing in on it. And then you get stupid videos of people like, did you see the Imagine thing back in like when coronavirus kicked off and then all the celebrities um, were singing? Yeah john lennon yeah i i'm sorry that i did see that i know man like oh dude and they, it's yeah. so painful anyway <laughs> um so yeah the ups usb whatever the, the us postal system yeah usps that that was a shitty story is there anything else happening with it like i saw there was some controversy like they're obviously worried about like the mail and ballots we actually had a breaking story this morning that no one's gonna really give a fuck about because New Zealand functions relatively well. But our election got pushed back because of uh, coronavirus outbreak. You know, uh, so 
That's, I mean, I agree with that decision, but I, that's like good fodder for people to use against labor. It is, but no one's really going to. And like National had already talked about doing the same thing. Right. Um, so I know in the States, they were like extremely paranoid that Trump was going to like push back the election or something. And everyone yeah, was worried yeah. about it because it was going to be this seen as a, you know, like abuse of power and he's trying to become Hitler and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, um, beloved Ardern, our benevolent dictator in New Zealand. Does the same thing. Does yeah. the same thing. And it's not yeah, talk about double standards, right? Ah, uh, it's huge double standards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, if, if that was initially a national policy, that's actually a pretty good um, decision on behalf of the Labour Party and Ardern because it, it steals the news cycle for, 20, uh, for 48 hours and negates any attack that national can make on it, you know? Yeah, um, totally. Which, I mean, there's like 48 hours of a relatively silent opposition is like pretty good and that's what you want in the middle of a crisis. How how is the outbreak going in New Zealand? I, is it still just contained to Auckland and Tokoroa? Yeah, pretty much. There's like a horror within it that could be exposed that may um, upend the way that people are dealing with the pandemic. And that's what is that? that? Well, they think it could have come from frozen goods from Melbourne or some other location in the world, mm. which means that potentially no one is. Um, so you can't have a lockdown country. Well, yeah, it's kind of fucked. Yeah. Because if that's the case, then the entire point <sighs> of lockdown is going to, like my frozen veggies could have coronavirus on them, you know? Mm. Um, and if that's the case, then we're in a whole new level of fucked. And it's like, at that point, like what's the even, can you even lock down sensibly? Well, or are we going to have to screen all frozen goods coming into New Zealand or anywhere? I mean, it's similar to the mask thing in a way, I think, because like I'm, I don't know this, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption to make that the percentage rate of transmission from person to person via frozen goods would be so much lower than just like physical contact. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was like, obviously, you can never be 100% safe and eliminate transmission, but you could put in best practices to do so. So I think it's still worth probably trying to eliminate community transmission in New Zealand or Australia or wherever, and then just accept that you're still going to have these little clusters popping up potentially on frozen goods and then sort of deal with it when it comes, right? Pretty much. I guess that's the only way forward, really, yeah. until we decide what the fuck is going to happen next. Um, um, but with speaking, you... Oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, speaking of which, did you read that Vladimir Putin has ordered like 1.5 billion um, vaccines that haven't passed like a full uh, testing routine? Yeah. I did say That's that. dope. <laughs> um, the great experiment continues. So right? we have crazy controversy leading up to the US elections. Um, the slow uh, increasing hatred between um, between camps in, the, in America. And, and frankly, the whole world. Like, we're all getting dosed on the fucking America drug right now, I feel. with um, Absolutely, man. Yeah, like, uh, you know, it never really used to be that controversial to uh, the different political parties here, like a national member and a Labour Party uh, member in New Zealand and whatever the equivalent is in Australia would be a non-talking point or something mildly interesting to discuss. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be what you talk about at a party when you've like exhausted... Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything else. Yeah. Or you're like, you know, shitty family get together and people just don't have anything to say to each other. So they start talking about politics. Um, oh, I can testify firsthand, man, that like politics is so quick to come up in 
sort of like mine and Francisca's family get-togethers, whether it's visiting her family or mine. Like it's yeah. front and center at the moment, man. It's kind of fucking That's annoying. Crazy. Like yeah. as someone who like co-hosts a fucking podcast which is like a lot about politics or probably primarily about politics like yeah. even i have no appetite for it well we're not <laughs> like, really discussing like i'm not interested in getting into the ins and outs of like biden versus trump like i don't have an interest in that you know like mm. and it's not something that i ever really want to discuss i don't really want to discuss um labor versus national or any other sort of party versus another party mm. because it's a nonsense discussion like it will never go anywhere it won't achieve anything but yeah. maybe by understanding the forces behind it um exactly. and you can't really control politics ever like uh it's yeah. always going to be a um like a gesture of sort of you know of for yourself i almost think it's like a selfish act to vote you're just kind of appeasing your own sense of what you think like should a happen. masturbatory act sort of well yeah it is unless it's a tie like your fucking one vote isn't really going to do much and anybody yeah. who wants to debate me on that like come at me bro i'll fucking debate you all day long. <laughs> um but yeah. you know it's i like i think critiquing like structural issues is more what we're about yeah, I, um, I agree with you. And understanding, I guess, like the social dynamics behind, um, you know, the way politics plays out, I think yeah. is more more interesting than politics itself. Um, but it's yeah, that leakage. It's poisoning. That? It's the leakage from the states, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the fact that, is. like, you know, you're uh, like we've said in previous episodes, when you're getting dosed on um, your chosen social media. Uh, and it's like now you're affected by what is happening in the states and all of a sudden people have to like no one in australia should really have that much input on the fucking trump versus biden thing as much as you should probably give a fuck about um you know i don't know whatever's whatever's happening in britain like you can't vote there there's nothing that you can really do i guess you can have a take on it but it shouldn't really impact your life that much at the end of the day yeah, it's a tough one because I think it's like it's normal for people to have inclinations and to have strong feelings about it because, you know, it affects the world and I guess that affects you. Um, but yeah, it, it's I think it's really difficult to separate yourself from those kind of like visceral reactions to things and the reality that you can't do anything to change it. Um, mm. And I think maybe that frustration is why people do tend to have opinions on it you know what i mean because it, it's like this thing that fucking eats away at them and they try and express their sort of opinion or views to alleviate the tension that they feel about it their helplessness mm -hmm. um and then that plays out you know in the form of arguments on reddit <laughs> <laughs> um i need to take a piss fuck man perfect timing yeah i was just about to say that uh, beautiful <laughs> all right all right What's up? What's up? It's about tribalism, really, when it comes down to it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. So um, what I was looking into before this as well, so there's original, so I was looking at the suicide of the West, um, mm -hmm. which is basically a piece on capitalism is all made us very wealthy, um, but also we haven't, uh, you know, found a way to like increase our wellness within our microcosms and what makes us feel needed and spiritually fulfilled. Oh, God, I hate it. I hate it when you're like just about to sneeze. And the worst has, is when it gets um, taken away from you. you know? Oh, right. I was just about to say like, here's this week's edition of like mouth and nose ASMR. <laughs> but um, it didn't happen. Getting dosed to my chronic allergies because I live in fucking New Zealand. Um, 
anyway, so there's this other piece that I was reading um, about the outrage epidemic, which is kind of like an old story that we've all heard, um, at least if you've listened to this podcast, you know, a thousand times, which is social media is fueling uh, tribalism. Um, that once, you know, once we cared about our local communities, all of a sudden we're now um, not participating in them as much and starting to participate in our online communities. And that's ultimately leading to us, you know, falling into whatever camp sort of sits, uh, suits our own brand or whatever we see as like uh, how we identify. And that in turn means that you're not only finding people that you agree with, which is a very positive aspect of, you know, online now that if... If you have any interest whatsoever, you can find someone who also has that interest. Be you a mm-hmm. uh, train enthusiast, furry, or, um, you know... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I found recently, a brony. Uh, what the fuck is a brony? It's like uh, guys like who are autistic. bros that dress up as ponies? Oh. Yeah, man, yeah. Autistic guys who are really into My Little Pony. Um, yeah, right. Bless so them. they like, so. like jerk off with My Little Pony toys or whatever? I don't think it's sexual. Oh, I, right. So okay, I okay. heard, yeah, there's a documentary about it. And as far as I understand, it helps um, helps guys figure out like what to do in, in social circumstances. And it teach them, teaches them like how to sort of navigate the world. So, so why My Little Pony? I don't know. Uh, Is that a TV show or a toy or both? It's like both. It's yeah. Right. So maybe My Little Pony teaches like important social lessons. I guess so. And then they like attach importance to that. So they buy the toys. I'll have to ask my niece. She watches it, but I I don't know anything about it. How old is your niece? Uh, Like 11. Oh, dope. Man, I should meet her sometime. You should. Um, When you're (laughs) up. Yeah. (laughs) One day in fucking years. Yeah, when I take you back to to my little Ted Kwasinski cabin. Oh, dude, I can't wait. Yeah. For the listeners, um, and we won't disclose the location or important details, but Damon's family has a beautiful lot of land away from the uh, the built-up world with a um, like sort of self-sustaining cabin and a couple of other structures, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and it is a blissful fucking place. Yeah. Me and Hayden yeah. are going to write our, um, our, our modern memoirs. guilt manifesto. <laughs> Or yeah. a memoir. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, we can hit up uh, Vivos X and get them to uh, develop a complex of bunkers there as well. Fuck, I'm actually so keen. Uh, I was, yeah, I've, I'll finish this and then I'll tell you what I was, I've been fantasizing so, yeah, um, about like gated Sorry, man. I like put you off because I was talking <laughs> nah, about My Little yeah, Pony. Yeah, that's all good. Um, a- anyway, so that's one, one of the things that we can all get now is that we can all become bronies um, or our own little niche internet community mm-hmm. that we identify with. But however, that's also created like this, you know, these two camps of um, whether, like we were saying before, uh, whatever you sort of feel really strongly about, you can now engage in that. And not only you can attack the other side um, with impunity. So it's starting to form like tribes, you know, and people are naturally tribalistic and they're always going to sort of like um, gather around people that they identify with. And one of the things that these, not only are people banding together, they're also starting to punish the other side. And it's, so Russ Roberts in in this whole outrage epidemic um, piece that he wrote talks about how it's, uh, you know, you can't imagine that your political opponents could possibly be right um, you start to die, dehumanize them and you start to justify the worst atrocities that human beings are capable of. And so, you know, if you look up some of these beating videos, uh, should you wish, 
um, or find them. They're all over the show on Twitter at the moment, and they're all over the show everywhere. It's not hard to find. Yeah, right. Yeah. People want the other side to be hurt. You know, I saw a video of a guy getting shot in the face with a tear gas canister. Um, you know, and it gives him like he had like memory damage afterwards or something or brain damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people were fucking rallying on it. They're like, "Fuck that guy! I should have fucking killed him." You know, and it's just like, dude, like they're people are so Chill the fuck out, man. Hateful, yeah. And it's like yeah. Russ Roberts, effectively in this entire piece, is talking about how it's. This was back in 2018. He wrote it um, that. You know, it's politics is transformed into entertainment and within that become its own blood sport. Um, and people are sort of, you know, not sort of, but very much radicalizing themselves and increasingly needing more high powered, uh, you know, high stimulus entertainment and hate and fuel and outrage. And they're starting to get off on it, which is again something, you know, like we talked about earlier. It's like, yeah, yeah. You're um, the fucking like little area of your head that's uh, like the. Where your fucking negative energy is building up and you need to like lash out somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It craves this shit. It craves the hate and the violence and the fucking trolling and all that shit. And now it's so easy to do it. And you, but you know, it's a bottomless pit. You're a bottomless pit. You're always going to fucking need. Um, more, more and more and more hmm. yeah it's pretty brutal <laughs> i think as well like um a lot of like tribalism and shit can maybe and i i like this is an area i know so little about so i'm just like fully spitballing here yeah. but i think it could also be down to like this evolutionary hunt for sexual prospects as well right <laughs> like i think the idea that if you subscribe to a set of values, you can like more easily sort of align yourself with a group of people and then find like belonging and a mate is probably makes a lot of sense. Like I think, mm-hmm. and I mean, to an extent, that's sort of what happens in virtual virtue signaling. Like I know that most people say that virtue signaling occurs so that you can be cool, but I think like you want to be cool so you can be desirable, right? So you and you want to be desirable so you can get fuck. Um, there's a really good piece that's been sort of echoed around that you should never trust one of those like male feminists. And I don't mean like a male who has feminist views. I mean, a self-proclaimed male feminist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get you. Yeah. And we all know the type. So don't even. Try oh yeah. Fucking, word. If you're out there being like, Hey, gaming doesn't believe in feminism. Fuck off. You know exactly <laughs> who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> fucking yeah. man. I, I feel you bro. Like, yeah. <sighs> I don't even know what to say about it, right? Because it's like, so like as soon as you start talking about it, you open this like floodgate and you just like make, you expose yourself to so much like vitriol and outrage. Yeah. And like, you know, potentially alienate people. But yeah, I know you. I know who you're talking about. Like there there are dudes who you'll like meet at parties or not even meet them, but just like see them across the room sitting in like an armchair because they always try and position themselves in an armchair or like a sort of like a focal point of the furniture. And we'll just have like one leg over their knee, just talking to like a few chicks, just like doing this, vibing their head, nodding back and forth. Like, yeah, sort of like swaying, like hand gestures and shit. Yeah, yeah, like talking about feminist issues. Like they really like have a fucking horse in the race. Yeah, yeah. In my latest stand-up uh, stand-up poetry slam act, actually, I touch on female issues and and uh, its depth, and and I really, um, I actually self-flagellate to let people know how pained I am at the guilt of you know what they suffer through at the hands of <laughs> yeah. brutal men. 
Yeah. By the way, I'm single. Um, it's just, it's fucking <laughs> like, you know, yeah, the virtue signaling is dangerous. A anytime that I see virtue signaling, I think I immediately become very skeptical on someone's motives because yeah, I agree with you. Um, a rich um, man doesn't need to tell you that he's rich and a man of morals or a woman of morals or whatever, uh, doesn't need to tell you that they're virtuous. And mm -hmm. if you are self-proclaimed, uh, you know, a virtuous or moral person, then you should be investigated, frankly, on that. Yeah. I think that what Damon is saying is not by the authorities. Um, yeah. Like this is some police state shit, but investigated in terms of your beliefs. And yeah, I'm immediately suspicious as well of someone who is, who is outwardly or signposts their generosity or righteousness or uh, mm. sort of like open-mindedness. Yeah. Because I, I think like the first step to being like a sort of trustworthy person is being honest about yourself. Mm. and realizing that you can't be completely open-minded um and i think like regardless of who you fucking are even even women you can't be 100 percent a feminist like there are some fucking moments in the day where i bet you're like man i wish we could just go back to like the year like three hundred thousand bc and all just be like enslaved and fucked like <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really interesting, there was a critique I heard, is, uh, I, th I think it was like on like Red Scare, might have been on like um, a similar podcast of some kind, <laughs> but it was probably Red Scare because podcast. they're like the most misogynistic podcast that, I, that I've fucking listened to. Um, and they're the only one that can be, you know, but they're, they're talking about oh, like yeah. how the prize for what you've won um to be included in like the white collar workplace is so shit that you know now people are like fighting against it and like you know trying to claim other prizes in um in the fight for equal rights because like That's fundamentally so true, right yeah well fundamentally white collar jobs suck they yeah. fucking do and like i feel like it must be so disheartening to fight um tooth and nail or to feel like you fought tooth and nail to uh, to climb to these you know positions of perceived um you know virtue and prestige to find that you're you know one of 500 shitting in a fucking toilet um, <laughs> i wish i could climb that line shout out to cam because i know that he'd get fucking shitty because <laughs> it's so good but like it's just you know that's what you fucking want congratulations here's your like uh your paycheck that you can never retire on and you're yeah. boxed in living for the rest of your life and it must feel like fucking shit it fucking must right welcome to yeah. prison yeah Jesus. yeah yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember who i was talking to recently but in fact actually i think it was francisca's mother um who often has pretty interesting perspectives on things i reckon and like she was talking about how absolutely insane it is that um i mean it's a two there are two things that feed into this problem i think and like manon was talking about one of them and she was talking about how all women are encouraged to work as sort of like economic units of you know like mm. self-actualization or whatever and it's like yeah women like empower yourself get out into the workplace be productive but like make sure that you can't look after your kids yeah and like rather than having some sort of like I mean, it's weird because I think now it's viewed as a progressive policy, but really it's sort of a traditional policy that like pay the woman to stay at home and look after the kids, right? Yeah. 
and then like have the man out working because like from Manon's perspective, she was like, man, like why the fuck are women out working? It's crazy. Yeah. Like you're having kids growing up that don't have like real fucking connection with their their mother, which we've, has been something that's happened for like millions of years. And it's like a cornerstone of humanity, apparently. Not that I know for a fact, but it seems to be well, it kind of from was. my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. so, like, like you say, like women or you know even men have won this prize of um, you know the start of gender equality, and now it's sort of like, oh, actually, this is fucked. Like, yeah. we're now paying people to look after our kids while we're out making money for somebody else. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I'm going to borrow from the last episode. This is this is the Faustian bargain we all made. Like, um, and it doesn't, it's not even a gendered issue for me. For I think it's interesting to look at it from a gendered perspective, but I ultimately can't really weigh in on that because I just don't know what it's like to be a woman, um, you know, at the moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, try it. Once I, all that, all that um, I do modern guilt Sydney. money starts spilling in and you can start transitioning, we'll do another episode <laughs> yeah. and revisit it. I've seen myself in gender rap. I, I fucking, I'd kill it. Um, but like when, uh, <laughs> I think ultimately, like we all imagined it would be really good. When I, when I was young, when I was like, you know, growing up and I was a teenager and I was imagining like, oh yeah, it'd be so sick to be rich and just like fucking sleep around and have chicks just crawling all over me and blah, blah, blah. It'd be fucking sick and I'd just be so wealthy and I could do like all the fucking drinking and drugs I wanted and just fuck 24-7. And now like that I have you know, large portions of that dream available to me uh, with relative ease. Um, it's bleak and empty and pointless. And it's like the pride, there's no prize to be won with easy sex and with, um, you know, like easy fucking, not that we have like easy access to drugs. We, you know, we'll, I mean, we'll we see do. if, yeah, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like uh, we're presuming that like cannabis becomes illegal and I'll be able to like buy as much pot as I want, which, you know, yeah. back in the day when I, like was it was always like difficult for me to source because i just was a loser with no connections um like uh, i would imagine these things as good but they're ultimately not like they're just kind of shitty prizes and i thought that working in a uh you know white collar job and being in a prestigious position would be good and it ultimately was another you know shitty prize that was to be won it took all my time and it left me with nothing and no meaning at the end of the day. And you sacrifice traditional um, relationships in your community. I've moved around so much and I've only just realized, you know, I and my cousin has talked to, to me about this as well. And a lot of other people I know that when you move around a lot and you think that you're living this jet setting glamorous lifestyle, you're sacrificing um, your friendships and your communities and you come back to places where you're an alien or you don't know anyone. And, you know, there's only a few remnants of a relationship that you had years ago that doesn't feel normal or right. And yeah, okay, you can get, you can fuck people you don't know easier than ever. Um, and even if you're in the 5% of chads that can get laid, um, you know, it fucking sucks. <laughs> like, even that sucks. After a while, you realize there's no virtue to putting, you know, like, like put my yeah, dick in someone your else dick this in another hole. Yeah, um, man, it's bleak and empty. Yeah, what's you're... the point, right? Like, you can go and buy a flashlight and it'll do the same thing. At that um, point, that's all you're fucking doing. Only it's like at the expense of someone else, you know. 
<laughs> well, not necessarily at the expense of someone else. Well, they're probably using you as well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's yeah a reciprocally parasitic relationship, which works out fine a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it, it's interesting that what you say about, you know, the sort of like struggle to find meaning and I guess like the, the hollowness of a lot of uh, efforts to find happiness in externalities. Because there are people that can, and mm. that's fucking weirds me out. And like I've spent yeah. my whole life trying to understand people who, to me, seem simple-minded, but maybe aren't i don't fucking know and like in australia they look like a dude in a tank top with two like tribal sleeves on a jet ski with like huge wraparound sunnies um who just spends every day at the gym and well they time. yeah Z's. And like Z's the, the god of aesthetics he, he was like this fucking dude that just like worked out at the gym and slept oh jokes. true <laughs> like he's worshipped online as like the uh the body what is his name Z's yeah, Z-Y-Z-Z Z-Y-Z-Z yeah look him up and you'll... oh I recognize this motherfucker yeah yeah this is crazy man um yeah this is wild so like how long ago was this guy like popular on the internet 2010 well when when did he die it was like just before that did so, he die? Did yeah, he, he died of like a heart attack. Yeah, right. It looks like he would have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, motherfucker. This guy was jacked as shit. But yeah. like clearly on steroids, right? Um, Allegedly. Like yeah. on, he worked out pretty on fucking hard. Like fucking amphetamines. I'm sure he worked out hard, gains. but like, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, this is really fucking fascinating. <laughs> I'm doing this thing that I do on like every episode, just like looking through Google images like relentlessly as I speak, um, yeah. which is the only sort of multitasking I can do in my life. Um, yeah. Um, and this dude is, yeah, hectic. So yeah, basically this guy, right, yep. is, is who I'm talking about. And I think when I was younger, I used to think that these dudes wind up happy because they are maybe naive to what's really important in life and that they're not as like sort of sophisticated or sensitive or like in tune with themselves or the world. Mm. Um, and sometimes I still think like that, but I don't actually know, you know, I'm sure it's not that simple and I'm sure maybe I'm wrong or that I don't give these people enough credit or something, but that's like my, and I'm not like proud to just like think sort of like derogatively of people like this dude, but yeah, that's like my natural inclination. And I wonder what it is that allows some people to just find happiness in these, what we would consider maybe like shallow pursuits um like you know working your corporate job and getting jacked on steroids and banging heaps of sevens heaps of sevens <laughs> <laughs> not even eight sir yeah sevens. i mean like it doesn't matter at that point right? <laughs> yeah. it's just a fucking like amphetamine induced blur so like who cares um it's an interesting point of view i i sort of feel like there was a period of time where like i hung out with a group of lads um whose primary objective in life like was in like... auckland no i was in christchurch uh yeah right. it was like my first year of university and there was like a group of lads <laughs> that i was hanging out with okay yeah i know um, i remember the ones yeah you probably know them and and like i wasn't ever in the group because i was always kind of like you know my own little uh whatever and come along and try and talk about random shit and they want to talk about like yeah, bro, fuck what else is sports game drink like 12 beers and then went fuck this chick I'm so sick hey, oh yeah fucking sick hey, you know you know exactly how the whole thing goes mm -hmm. um, and there was a weird camaraderie like there was almost like the uh, the existential demons were quieter you know in that mm -hmm. environment and I think if you are surrounded with 
um, the camaraderie and like, uh, you know, acceptance of your own tribe of, you know, gym going and taking, um, womanizing bros. It is easier to get along. Could you do it forever? I don't know. There's something brutally sad about seeing a 40 year old fucking trying to engage in that behavior. And I, I think most of them kind of dissipate or like become like married lads and then go to Bali and do the same thing. Yeah, you know, the, right. There's a transition for them as well. But like, I definitely think in those circles, it's probably easier for the men. They're more satiated. Whereas when you're kind of a loner and an outsider, um, you're more, you know, existentially lost and you, you need um, more understand. Like you, you have to somehow reconcile these feelings against, um, you know, this void that you have. Yeah. So maybe it's a matter of like sensitivity, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I do, I do find it interesting. I, I could never, we'll probably never know because, you know, we'd have to go back and we'd have to live our lives as lads and then ask ourselves like, well, did the same questions and um, thirst for uh, fulfillment arise within us? Or could we just bang chicks and snort fucking amphetamine and work out and feel content with that? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm reading from this guy's um, Wikipedia page. And when I say this guy, Aziz Shavershin, um, or Ziz, or Ziz God, as the internet called him. Um, in July 2011, Shavershin gained more media attention when the Sydney Morning Herald published an article about the arrest of his older brother, Saeed, for illegal possession of anabolic steroids. On August the 5th, 2011, while on holiday in Thailand, Aziz suffered a heart attack and died at the age of 22. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, must have been on steroids, right? Oh, uh, probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and fuck knows what he was up to in Thailand. I just, whenever someone tells me they're going to Thailand, I struggle. Like, if you're, like, male and in your mid-20s and um, I've seen you be a degenerate and you tell me you're going to Thailand, I'm just always like, oh, yeah. Are yeah. You now? <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> that. sightseeing, are you? <laughs> yeah. Go, uh, go see the temples. <laughs> sure, um, buddy. <laughs> A while ago when I was living in like a shared house with a bunch of my mates, I was like working a like Monday to Friday job uh, mm. and a couple of my friends who I lived with were chefs. So we'd always like go out, you know, partying on their days off for like Tuesdays and Wednesdays or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, and like my bedroom was right by the front door. So whenever wasted people would come home, I would just like always wake up. Um, and this one time it was like three in the morning and they rocked up home and with like a bunch of random people that they'd met out. Um, and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I figured like, fuck it, I'll just get up and like have a beer with them and then go to work, you know, it's a nice way to start the day. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, when I say a beer, I mean one beer, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, this crew of people were just like wrecked hanging out. And this random dude is telling this story, man. And he's like, yeah, so um, like I was in Thailand, uh, like got approached by this, chick at a bar and how about it so like i agreed to pay her whatever she came back to the hotel and um then i was sitting on the bed and like and she was sucking me off and fucking good and i was getting all like you know fucking worked up and um then like it blew my mind because she just bent over and like told me to just like put it in her ass straight away and i was like fucking jesus like this is amazing like okay and then so i was like going for it and then I was like, okay, like went to take her dress off. And then she was like, no. And he's just like, oh, 
well, hang on, like I'm paying for this. And they're like, no, like you can't take my dress off. And this dude was like confused and like, I don't know, like vaguely upset by <laughs> how he told this story. And then like he went to like, yeah, a fucker and her pussy. And um, then like this dude just had a cock and it, he was just like fucking this like lady boy. And um, yeah. then he's just like, oh, well, like I may as well finish. Like I've come this far. So just like <laughs> fucking <laughs> turned him back over and just kept fucking this guy in the ass until he finished, man. Pretty fucking loose. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, that's Yeah, right? I've heard that story so many times, man. It's just like... There's different variations of it. Different from variations. Fucking, yeah. fucking thing, hey? Like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, and I think every time you hear it, it's more jarring because you like you you uh, realize how normal it is for dudes to just behave that savagely. Yeah, totally, or progressively, uh, depending what country <laughs> you're in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesus fucking fuck. Yeah, you know, like maybe weird. Weird is maybe lads have that same problem. You know, like there's this, uh, there's this hole in them and they have to continually fill it with, um, in their eyes, <laughs> increasingly degenerate behavior. There's a lot of innuendo there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, fuck. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe everyone has this problem. Yeah. It's I, just, we're so flawed. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting point. It's a philosophical one and it's almost its own episode worthy. Um, and I would, I would be fucking keen to dive into it because it's like hedonistic pleasure and Epicurean um, lifestyles. Uh, and I think Epicurus was one of the original philosophers who, who said that um, the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing, you know, and it's above all the, uh, that's what man should focus on um mm, yeah you're right i'm just reading this right now and um yeah yeah so, so someone who is epicurean is a person devoted to sensual enjoyment especially that derived from fine food or drink okay so yep. not necessarily even sexual yeah. um but i guess the sexuality is the extreme endpoint of that i i suppose so yep. how can someone define hedonistic then because i i mean i've i know the word but i don't really Oh, right. So the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, essentially self-indulgent. Mm. Um, I think, it, you know, and, and like from experience of that sort of thing, like you can ward off existential angst um, with, uh, you know, hedonistic pleasure. That's why it exists. Mm. You know, yeah. it's like it's fundamental point. Um, For only so long though, right? Well, that's it. And then you need to up the stakes. Like, you yeah. know, it's never going to be good enough at a certain point to start off with having a few beers with your friends to ward it off. And then, you know, that not being, that's a shitty example, but basically you're always going to kind of have to up the stakes to feed. So, you know how there is like the um, really popular and like sort of well-known problem of men not seeking help or discussing mental illness or like their failings. Hmm. Um I've always kind of thought that that problem like is about me or people similar to me. Maybe I'm just like fucking self-censored. I mean, I probably am to an extent. <laughs> but like yeah. I thought like, yeah, like men like myself don't seek help because that has been me in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really thought that applied to Aziz and his mates. Um, and I wonder if that's really what it's 
getting at. So like the science says that these dudes actually are, you know, in need of help and none of them seek it. And like, it's so rare that you and I like can barely even fathom these dudes like having this kind of existential dread that we have. Yeah, but they fucking do, man. And like Aziz, he posted about it, I'm pretty sure. You know, like he used to fucking post on 4chan all the time. Did he Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a big contributor, you know, and he had problems as well. And like, as far as I remember, I know, I don't think like his brother Chesbra or Saeed, um, who also is a fun fact, um, and we'll link it or maybe not link it. We'll have a discussion about it. Um, But he, I'm pretty sure he runs the Bodybuilders Against Tipping Facebook page um are you fucking serious yeah that's chess bro <laughs> that's fucking that's incredible that's Aziz's so, brother and his name is chest bro yeah wow i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure I'll the internet is that. so good man i know man bodybuilders against tipping is like one of the fucking most what a wild facebook page powerful man. troll pages i've seen and it generates like it's just a f- internet hate page you know Ooh. um so any, anyway, I, I think they do suffer from it. And like, I remember from the days of hanging out with those groups of lads, there was a weird emptiness amongst the group, I felt, within parts of it, you know? And, and there was like an aspiration as well. It's not like this empty, um, just indulgent pleasure. Uh, there was like a, a strive to get good grades, to get like um, a good job, to get, you know, to fuck better chicks to like do all this stuff and to show off to the group and be valued and needed. So I think they're all suffering from the same fucking thing. They just maybe don't articulate it in the same way. Mm. Like everybody wants to be the leader of the group. Everybody wants to feel needed by the group to be seen with them, to be like, you know, the alpha of the group. So you can be, um, so you can wingman other guys and stuff. There's like a total tribalistic nature yeah that's insane see that just shows like how much of an outcast i've been for my whole life man like i don't know like anything about like dudes interacting with with each other in this sense like i've never had like a group of like male friends that behave that way which is pretty i don't know my experience is so limited and i'm fucking like i'm as (laughs) good as an incel talking about like um you know female psychology from the party that i was invited to by my female one female friend you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's like literally me conveying this to you right now. Well, actually, I did male psychology. <laughs> Let me tell you about lads. Yeah, it's like, I don't think I have like amazing insight. It's just, this is just mostly conjecture. Um, yeah, but, no, I get it. But I mean, that's that's what we're all doing, right? Um, none of us have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> we're just here to talk shit and try and fucking <sighs> say something of interest. Um, we're at an hour 46 um what are you thinking what are you feeling um yeah no that's pretty fucking good i mean that's largely i feel like we came to a good catharsis there um we started out and there's been a emotional release on my part on my anger towards uh you know Mm. anger in in itself shit man (laughs) fucking Oh, that's great. I'm glad that you've been able to generate some sort of catharsis through this podcast. Did you? Because I feel like that's the natural conclusion that I hope at the end of the podcast is that I fucking reach that state of being like, ah, and it always happens around this time. So it's about enough time for us to like present the problem and then work through it um, using our fantastical philosophical takes. Um, Yeah, no, it's weird. I, um, I often do feel somewhat of a sense of catharsis. 
I suppose the same way that you might through therapy or something and just sort of like unloading your thoughts and your concerns and questions. Mm. Um, but at the same time, these conversations always generate more questions in my head that I know I probably won't ever have answers to, which stresses me out in its own <laughs> unique way. But I mean, I think that's just the disease of more, you know? Is it a disease? I think Ray Dalio... Uh, who I will endlessly dick ride. And every time I bring him up, I feel the need to say that because like, he's definitely one of the, the most um, incredible thinkers out there right now, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about his own journey of going from basically a broke Brooklyn uh, kid to becoming like a multi-billionaire um, and has a really interesting take on his substantial wealth, which is it's kind of like not really good at all and he says it's much better to be um you know well off but not substantially so than it is to be a billionaire for example mm -hmm. it's better to be anonymous than famous as well the best possible position you could be in is to be anonymous and well off um and that throughout his life what he's discovered is that the most important thing is climbing mountains reaching the peak and then looking for the next big problem and then surpassing the problem every single time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you'll never have the answers and you'll never reach a state of contentedness in its entirety, but the constant need for, you know, having the questions coming in and always having uh, something to go find an answer to, I think is more important than anything. So if you can reach the peak of one small hill um, to give you sight towards your next conquest, Oof, there you go. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, like intellectually and conceptually. <laughs> Damon just pulled bloods on the webcam. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that. And like my rational brain can get on board with it, but I can never feel like I'm at peace with that, if that makes sense. Yeah. But anyway, that's maybe something that will come in episode 13 of Modern Guilt. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up. Cool, man. Um, thanks again. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we are like a week away from putting the website live. So we will make some announcements when that happens, most likely when we drop the next pod. Um, so get around that because we're going to be publishing some long-form articles on there as well, which um, might explore some more of these sorts of things in a bit more depth with a bit more clarity of thought. Because when we do these podcasts, we basically think of an idea that we want to talk about and then we both go and read about this shit and then we kind of just like try and make sense of our own thoughts on it out loud. Um, so we figure it might make sense to try and build on that um, and offer something uh, maybe, I wouldn't say a bit more substantial, but something a bit more concrete or maybe intellectual. Polished. Um, polished. Mm. Um in yeah text format so yeah. i think that might be cool um hit us up via email if you have any feedback as per usual please subscribe give us five stars on your podcast listening app of choice share us to your friends talk about yes. us to your mom and dad <laughs> yeah. bring up some um, points yeah share your feelings yeah um ask your colleagues what they think about the content <laughs> <laughs> We should do a sex ed episode. Um, yeah, well, we are due to go on a um, other podcast, which will... Fuck, I totally forgot about that shit. Dr. Susan Block. Yeah. 
um, who is apparently reasonably well known um, in the <laughs> yeah. community. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to dive into that, and and like, Fuck there's yeah. not many male perspectives out there of um, you know existential, uh, the existentially lost, or the yeah, whatever guys like us weighing yeah. in, or yeah. <laughs> How how existential crises unfold in a um in a dom sub dynamic? Maybe we can like go into that with her on the show. Yeah, um, Greek but, myths yeah. in the bedroom. How to spice up your love life with modern guilt? What Damon is talking about is um this Californian radio show that we're going to be uh, appearing on next month. I can't remember the date, but um, it's hosted by uh, this woman who is like a self-proclaimed sex therapist and former like television host on HBO. Um, she seems to be like a really prolific individual um, and has built this sort of like weird cult following around being like a sort of sage dominatrix sex mother. it's so fucking it makes me so uncomfortable Um, yeah Yeah. like she seems like really warm and comforting and smart but at the same time sort of like disturbingly like erotic yeah Um, yeah. and like i get paddled while i'm doing chores or something like that yeah comforted afterwards yeah Yeah. um and then she'll just be like so how's your homework going damon you're a very good boy yeah Yeah. um (laughs) so anyway (laughs) fuck we'll be sharing that when that comes along um we'll be we'll provide a link for anyone who wants to listen to us like fucking wax lyrical with some dominatrix yeah um i'm fucking excited about that man i'm glad you brought that up because um i mean i hadn't totally forgotten but i have forgotten you know for for the duration of this podcast um so anyway Francisco cr- criticized us for taking too long to wrap up episode the other day. So it's too good. To maybe me. we should draw this one out a little bit for her. <laughs> Fair enough. My girlfriend says that she's not going to listen until we um, start posting episodes less than 45 minutes long. So oh, as long as they're this me, long, really? I can just keep talking shit. That's all cool. good. That's interesting feedback. Oh, um, I'm not listening to that. but what if your girlfriend is representative of like a crucial target demographic well we're releasing clips i believe so uh, (laughs) yeah they can 50 second long clips yeah Yeah. (laughs) they can listen to us say like gross things out of context and then just hate us yeah yeah um like so many people do with so many people and so many things um okay that's it episode 13 modern guilt finished thank you for listening thank you damon peace y'all we love you i'll see you next week